Hi, this is Craig Valentine, host of Early to Rise Radio. Have you ever wanted to become wealthier, healthier, wiser, or just have more time to appreciate the finer things in life? On this show, we reveal what high performers are doing every day to be more successful without sacrificing their personal lives. Early to Rise Radio is sponsored by The Perfect Day Formula. Get your free copy of this game-changing success guide at freeperfectdaybook.com. Now let's get started with today's show. Joe Polish, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Great to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. So you are the founder of Genius Network. You're the author of this book. Uh, I was like, oh, I got it. You know, I had these notes. Make sure you hold up Joe's book, the most, one of the best books I've ever written on networking. What's in it for them? And we're going to dive deep into that. Wait, and one of the best go. books you you've ever book. read or written, did you say? Nope. One of the best books I've ever read on networking. Good. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Keith Ferrazzi's uh, Never Eat Alone was another good one. Actually, I think like those are the only two that I've ever really read on networking and they're both brilliant. No, thank you. Yeah. And Keith is a friend. So that's a great book and worth definitely. Every, worth everybody, everybody is a friend. He's <laughs> like, you know, anybody famous, successful is uh, in my mind, they, they must be a friend of Joe Polish's because everybody <laughs> is a friend. And so I think we'll unpack, like, how do you become, how do you go from a drug user to carpet cleaner to Richard Brenson's friend to friend with all these entrepreneurs and basically living a great life just because you're an amazing guy? How do you do that? That's that's what we'll talk about today. Okay. Yeah, I'll try to, I'll try to give some of those suggestions. <laughs> Now, before we get into that, I want you to know that I would not be married to my wife if it wasn't for you, because here's how it breaks down. You introduced me to Carmelia Ray, the matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah. Carmelia introduced me to a woman named Vanessa, and Vanessa was the woman who introduced me to Michelle. So it all starts with you, my friend. So I, I can't thank you enough. You gave me the greatest gift in the world. No, and, I, and I'm so happy to hear this, too, because... Um, you know, I, I talk about dominoes who are the first dominoes uh, in, in your life to, to different people. What is a book you've read, a person you've met, an adventure you've taken, something that changes the trajectory of your life. And there's positive uh, dominoes and there's negative ones, certainly, because uh, all of us have probably been introduced to someone that was a disaster, uh, personally and professionally, and others where it just changes your life in great ways. And, you know, now you're a father and all kinds of wonderful things. So I'm so so happy to so happy to hear this. You know, I, I so if we actually do that exercise a little bit more, it was Heather Kruger who first brought me to one of your events, the one where you first had Richard at and then it was Yannick who introduced me to Heather Kruger. And it was Ted Nicholas who wrote an email in 2006 that got me to sign up for Yannick's underground online seminar. Wow. Wow. So uh, what a small world, too, because I, you know, boy, I remember like, obviously, I know every single one of those people, of course, including Ted Nicholas, because Ted, yeah. I had, I, I interviewed Ted back in maybe 1998. Uh, when we did when when I was doing my tape of the month clubs when all of this stuff was on cassette tapes and and all that, but uh, yeah, it's it. There's if you look at the 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 trails, the breadcrumbs per se of how things uh, pan out, and I always try to think of who brought me to the dance party. Uh, mm-hmm. I am surprised how many people lack the awareness, the situational awareness in, in, in relationships, but just the long-term awareness of what got you somewhere and how I think it's a, a smart idea to honor that path and honor those people 
if it's, you know, some people change, some people oftentimes will do things for you because they want to maintain a certain level of control and posturing and positioning. Other people are just givers and, and, and genuinely like connecting and helping other people. Other people have an agenda. So there's, you know, humans have all kinds of ways to do what it is they do and why they do it. However, I try to maintain long-term relationships and always you know, show gratitude, like my friend, uh, the former, my, you know, I shouldn't say former, but uh, my, uh, my brilliant genius friend who passed away, uh, Dave Kekich, he said, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the value of any service you provide diminishes rapidly once it's provided. And I've always done my best to not operate that way and to remember that, oh, you know, someone may have done something for me 20 years ago, but it really, was impactful and how do I continue to, you know, show gratitude when earned monetarily when possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always try and connect with Yannick, you know, cause he was definitely one of the first uh, mentors that I had. I always try and connect with him, even though it's been a long, long time since we really chatted and everything. And there's a few other people like Dave Kekich. He wrote those hundred Kekich credos that I, stu I studied one daily for about three years in a row. I would just go through his hundred and I'd read and, and, you know, apply it to my life. And then, um, you know, Bill Phillips is another guy who I want to ask you about, who's, you know, been influenced, obviously you've been influential to him, but he's been influential to me. And then Dan Kennedy too. So we'll talk about all of those people. Um, awesome. And one last thing that I'll say, I kind of came up with this one after um, meeting Michelle because of people that I know. It's that the more good people you know, the easier everything in life will be. And you have a phrase uh, that you want to build an elf business. So what is an elf business? And you know, without spending too much time on it, what what are the ways that someone can move their current business closer to an elf business? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a, a phrase that I first heard from my friend Mark Schneider, who unfortunately he passed away also recently. And he, it's easy, lucrative, and fun. That's what it stands for. It, uh, it, from a business standpoint, easy, lucrative, and fun. From a personal standpoint, it could be easy, liberating, and fun. So mm -hmm. I try to find. I, I first started thinking of Elf as marketing because anyone that utilizes direct response marketing, you can and clone yourself. You replicate yourself. There's all kinds of ways that you can package yourself up, your messaging that doesn't require manual marketing. So, and, and this is stuff that you've been teaching for years. We've both been using for years. You know, selling is what you do when you're on the phone or face-to-face -face with somebody. Marketing is what you do to get someone on the phone or face-to-face -face with you, properly positioned. So by the time you're talking to them, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to do business with you. That's what good marketing does. And if you do your marketing that way, your business is more elf. It's more easy. It's more lucrative. It's more fun because you're not doing so much manual marketing. Uh, now, over the years, though, I made the distinction, well, there's an elf business, easy, lucrative, and fun, or there's a half business, which is hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. It, you know, it can often be hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. There's yeah. ways to that we've all made money, but we're like, man, it was a pain in the ass. And boy, we really had to, you know, deal with a lot of uh, angst and a lot of obstacles and a lot of annoyances. Uh, so not all money is created equal. You know, there it, it just isn't. And not all business models are uh, the, the same. I mean, there's so many little nuances that can make uh, your life or your business more L for more half. And I want to make the distinction, though, in order to get to elf, though, 
it rarely do you just fall into an elf business. You usually have to work your ass off and you have to get beat up quite a bit. And you have to learn things you don't know and all the things you don't even know that you don't know in order to get to an elf business. So in order to have the conditions of an elf business, you have to set it up in a certain way. Uh, and the setup oftentimes requires a tremendous amount of effort. Uh, one of the gyms that I work out at, they have a big saying on the wall that says, effort is your responsibility. And it is. So you have to be responsible. You have to respond with ability. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about elf, though, over the years, and I write about this quite a bit in what's in it for them, is it's not just the business, it's people. There's people, there's projects, there's things, you know. So I really do my best to filter people, places, things, activities, what gets my Tammy is what I call it, my time, attention, money, effort, and energy. Those are the things we can spend. We can spend our time, our attention, our money, our effort, and our energy. And I want to put that into people that are elf, projects that are elf, because when I spend my time in elf, I am happier, I am more productive, I tend to make more money, uh, I feel I have greater impact. And frankly, you get to a stage in life if you've been just grinding for so long where if you don't create elf around you, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to tear yourself down. And it's and, and, and unfortunately, that's where a lot of people spend most of their life. Yeah. And, and you know, I just want to give a shout out to you because you you were very generous, you know, when, you know, in times when I wasn't paying a paying coaching client, you were just as generous then as you were when I was a paying coaching client. You've always been a great friend. You've always been very helpful, sending me intros and all this sort of stuff. And it's just been fantastic. And it's, you know, uh, I, I'm the type of person who does appreciate your sense of humor, as you warn in the book. Some people get it. Some people don't. Um, I love it. And it turns out that um, maybe it wasn't a sense of humor, but the Richard Branson story is my favorite story from the book about how you connected with him because it was a year and I was very interested. I was always wondering how the heck did you become so close with him that he spoke at your event that I went to in 2007. So why don't you just share that Richard Branson story and how you stood out in his eyes just by being yourself, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, so, okay. So I have to give credit to Ben Altadonna calls me up one day. Ben, you've probably known Ben forever. And Ben is- I, I've known of him. I've never really done much with him, but I mean, that's a blast from the past, that name. Yeah. Oh, oh totally. Yeah. So he's he was the guy that uh, has, you know, taught chiropractors how to market mm -hmm. their businesses in, in years ago. Like in 2006, he calls me up and I met him from the Dan Kennedy world back right, in- Right, Dan. That's Dan used to say his name all the time. Yeah. And it's funny because I was just talking with Ben last week and I was just talking with Yannick Silver last week, which is funny. And uh, I, I had not talked to Yannick in a while. And so, Ben, he's like, hey, you want to go to dinner with uh, Richard Branson? And I'm like, well, what's the catch? And he's, you know, because he's like, well, my friend Mike Faith, who's a, a, a guy that founded headsets.com years ago, oh, he right. said he's organizing a dinner uh, with people after an event in San Francisco, and they're going to do a fundraiser for Virgin Unite, which is, uh, you know, Richard's foundation. And he said, um, you know, it's a minimum $5,000 donation. And I literally just thought about it for a few seconds. And I said, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you know, I want to be interesting to meet Richard Branson. The guy's a billionaire. He seems to have done very well. Uh, there's probably a lot that could be uh, learned from that sort of dinner and why the hell not? And I said, I'll give a $15,000 donation. So I immediately 
just tripled the amount. Uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll go into it because I'm willing to, you know, put my um, put my money into things that I think could uh, be a useful investment. I don't just like spending money. I like investing money. And to me, uh, access to certain people, knowledge, uh, activities, I like cutting checks. And I am in a fortunate position where I could do that because I've worked my butt off to build a business that allowed me to have the money to do that. So that's, that's how I, you know, cause I've had that question, how'd you meet Branson a million times? And I'm like, well, you know, first started with money, you know, you have to, yeah. you have to get a ticket. So oftentimes people want to meet people, but they're not, if you don't have any money, then what I did when I was a dead broke carpet cleaner, living off credit cards is I had a lot of time. I had my attention. I had my effort. I had my energy. And I, I, I just, you know, would show up and try to be useful because mm. We all want something. I have this riff that I do, which is, you know, we all want something. Anyone listening to this or watching this right now wants something. Any one of your clients that joined one of your groups, one of my groups, they all want something. Uh, you know, I'm going to want lunch later today. So we all want something. Uh, the, the question is, is when you want something, make sure that your give is equal to or greater than your want. And you, and if you show up with a give that's equal to or greater than your want, then people tend to not only appreciate you, but you stand out. So I went to this dinner and here we are, it's about 15 of us, 12 to 15 people. I can't remember the exact amount, but it was, it was a small group and we were all there and, you know, Richard shows up and everyone's like, you know, okay. you kind of, you know, seeing what Richard's going to say, the, you know, billionaire dude. And uh, everyone's asking him, you know, serious questions about uh, mostly at the time, climate change and global warming. And I have completely different perspectives on that. I mean, I, I tell people, if you want to really understand about climate, you know, look at both sides and read the book Fossil Futures by Alex uh, Epstein, and which is a brilliant book and a brilliant mm -hmm. guy. And so there's a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of craziness in that that whole debate. And so anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. But everyone's asking about these serious things. And in my mind, I'm thinking, OK, Richard uh, signed the Sex Pistols. Boy George, he jumps out of you know hot air balloons. He has you know Virgin, uh, you know Virgin Atlantic, and you know Virgin Airlines, and you know all all this crazy shit. He's hanging around musicians this whole time. So I'm asking him questions that are just you know what's it like to hang out with the Sex Pistols and all of you know all these different bands. And so everyone was being serious, but I was just being like, this guy probably gets this stuff all the time. And clearly, you know, he, if you look at his life, he, it's, it's all about adventure. And so he took a sort of a liking to me because I kept asking him these, you know, sort of crazy questions. And within a matter of minutes, then Richard was asking everyone, how old were you when you lost your virginity and that sort of stuff? And then when it finally got to him, he tried to bypass it. And I'm like, no, Richard, you know, how old were you when you, you know, lost your virginity? So it became like a, a more fun thing. And that's how we actually met each other. But the way that we ended up um, developing the relationship is that during the dinner, we start talking about his foundation because money was being raised for that. And then certainly, you know, what are you trying to work on? And the thing that I was interested in was actually the entrepreneurial stuff you know, he had uh, some stuff they were doing to help entrepreneurs. And, and I come from a space where going back to the original definition of an entrepreneur, which is a guy named John Baptiste say the first uh, use, recorded use of the term entrepreneur was in 1804. And he said, an entrepreneur is an individual that takes resources from a lower level of productivity to a higher level of productivity. So I'm very much about how do we 
make people better? How do we create things that are more effective? Because there's lots of ways to make money that I don't consider entrepreneurial. I mean, you can make money exploiting people. You can make money selling toxic food or, you know, toxic pharmaceuticals or, uh, you know, shitty drugs and alcohol and stuff that don't really help people that, you know, so I don't, I don't put that in the realm of entrepreneurship. I, I think of entrepreneurship as you make things better, you make people better, you make humanity better. And so I, I was very interested in the entrepreneurial stuff. And I had given Bill Phillips, who you mentioned earlier, uh, I was his marketing consultant on and off for 13 years. And so I knew a lot about using marketing for um, causes and he, I gave him an idea to donate money to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, uh, which ended up leading to the book Body for Life, because the book didn't even exist prior to that. And I, I started consulting with Bill in 1996, and he had this video called Body of Work that he had done in, in the, the late 90s, which was a documentation of these physique transformation contests. And Bill was, at the time, working with me, and he wanted a, a way to... To, to have people place value on this uh, video that, that, you know, going back in those times, people today that have YouTube channels and stuff, and they have no idea how expensive it was to put together a movie back then. He had spent over a million dollars just on this documentary that you can now shoot much of what he did on an iPhone back then. But can I, you stop, uh, can you stop traffic, traffic in Vegas? Uh, like Bill, like Bill and his brother in that video. Yeah. You know, that that's a more difficult, if you're a big meathead, you could, because I mean, yes. what, what, what Craig is talking about is they're in this video, you got these two bodybuilders and they're walking, you know, literally in their, in their pretty much the equivalent of like speedo shorts, uh, yeah, it's a classic 1990s spandex workout gear. Exactly. Yeah, they're in the, there's these, these little posing shorts and they're walking down the Las Vegas Strip. It's it's pretty funny. And so I'd given him an idea to donate to to distribute the movie. And if people liked it, make a donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And that's what he did. And he ended up becoming the single largest uh you know, individual contributor in the history of the world for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I don't know if anyone has surpassed him in that, uh, but that whole idea came from me originally sending out a cassette tape with Gary Halbert and raising money for the Phoenix Children's Hospital. And I had shared the idea that I had tested distributing information for, you know, free and if people like it, or they can get, you know, this cassette tape that I had had recorded, uh, you know, for a, a $20 donation. And, and I had shared the idea with Bill during consulting and said, you can apply this idea towards your uh, movie. And he did. And sure enough, it, it his company at the time when I was consulting with him was already a successful company. He was doing 60 million a year in revenue, but within two years, mostly on the strength of the ideas that we came up with together, Bill built the company to a $200 million a year company. And then he sold it in, in 1999 for, you know, 300 million approximately. He got a, half of that up front and the other amount was paid out over a five-year period. And that is a company that did a billion and a half uh, in, in revenue off that brand, EAS, Experience experimental and applied mm -hmm. sciences. Uh, but I had that idea and I had seen it. And I said to, to, to Richard, you know, he had all these different things that his foundation was doing. And I said, well, you know, uh, why, why don't you take 
it's education-based marketing. Why don't you educate people on what you're doing? And you can literally raise money that way. And he's like, you know, I like that idea. Can you put that in, in, in writing and email it to me? And I'm like, you know, sure. And so I think I was the only one that he gave his email to that night. He might've given it to someone else, but I, you know, he definitely was talking with me and that's how I started it. Now, let me tell you the other side of it. So I then offered to interview the woman that was running Virgin Unite, Jean uh, Olwing. And so uh, instead of saying, hey, can I interview Richard? Hey, can I do stuff with Richard? I said, look, this guy's a billionaire. He like, if you just break down that into an hourly rate, you know, how much money is, it's it's a lot. And I'll let people, you know, do the numbers if they want. Um, it, it's a lot. And so I was thinking, okay, how do I create value for this guy? And how do I, you know, cause I, I'd like to interview him. I'd like to actually do some stuff. And so the, 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 the first entree into all of that was uh, I'd hired him to speak at one of my um, Piranha Marketing uh, super conferences, my big event. I was at that one. Yeah, yeah. And I was doing it for service business. And it, and, and here's what, what's crazy. I made a $200,000 donation uh, in order to um, have him speak. And he did not know if he'd be able to come in person or if they'd have to do it over Skype. And based on the schedule, they had to do it over Skype. And it cost- And this is 2007. So, I mean, easy now, but 2007 over Skype, tricky it's questionable uh, very questionable to the tune of i had to spend $35,000 to send a video crew to necker island and set up a skype call in order to do it to make sure that it would transfer across because he was in the british virgin islands which is where his island is so think of it this way before i even asked richard to do an interview with me i was willing to invest a quarter million dollars into that relationship and into Virgin Unite. And so, and then I said, hey, let's do an interview. And then where that led is we started doing trips on Necker Island. And so I've, you know, I did six week long trips on Necker Island. The first one was, you know, 45,000 uh, per person or 75,000 for a couple. Uh, and we, you know, we would sell out the, and we would rent the island. And to this day, it, it ended up, I became the single largest individual contributor for Virgin Unite. Uh, and I don't know if that's still the case anymore. Um, but I, I started doing those trips. And then that's where me and Yannick started collaborating. And Yannick wanted to keep going to Necker and doing all of this stuff. And so I turned the trips over to him. And, and so Yannick started running the trips. But we not only raised millions of dollars for, um, you know, for Virgin Unite, um, but we also gave them a model which they have made tens of millions of dollars from. And they never packaged up, you know, they would rent the island, but it didn't include Richard. And so I, you know, bundled the thing in where, you know, Richard would have lunch and dinner and stuff. So I've had, you know, I've, I've, I've spent over six weeks of my life on the island. I've, had, I've interviewed Richard for hours and hours and hours, only, you know, some of it has been put online. You know, people can do a search to see even the original interview where I invited Marie Folio and and Yannick Silver to sit in on the interview with me. Hmm. And that's how, you know, that's how, uh, you know, th then I introduced, you know, Richard to to lots of people to, you know, to John, you know, John Mackey, uh, the founder of Whole Foods. And I, and, and I, yeah, I, I introduced Richard to uh, 
you know, Tony Robbins and to Tim Ferriss and to a bunch of people that, you know, over the years that, and now they have turned it into a bunch of uh, different um, events that they do there. But when I first started doing the trips on Necker, the price to rent the island was half the price that it is now. And a lot of that mm-hmm. came from just what, uh, you know, what I created. Um, but it all started with uh, giving uh, an idea to Richard and, and giving value on the spot. And that's one of the chapters and what's in it for them. I tell a bit of the story, but the, the the thing to take away is not meeting Richard Branson. You know, frankly, I've met a lot of people and that are fascinating and interesting and some are successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, uh, Richard, uh, you know, clearly is, is done very well. Uh, however, it's not about meeting famous people. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm more impressed by some people that no one would even know than I am with a lot of quote unquote famous people. People somehow get enamored with a celebrity as if knowing a famous person somehow results in something. And oftentimes it's it's just status uh you know seeking versus like I like uh the pursuit of growth, not the pursuit of status. And there are people that want to meet a bunch of people so they can take photos with them. And it's, and you've probably had this happen, Craig, where, you know, people will take a picture with you and then they'll say, Hey, you know, I'm here with this person and I really think they're great. And by the way, here's my program that you should buy or you should pitch. And they're using, they give credit to credentialize. That's what I call Mm -hmm. it, you know, credit to credentialize. And what I have found is I sort of have mixed feelings about how, uh, a lot of people utilize, uh, and I use the word utilize because I don't like using people. Uh, I don't like being used, uh, and and I want to be utilized. I want to utilize people. I don't want to use anyone. Sure. And a lot of people use people, and and they use in in in. I have a love hate relationship with uh, many people in the marketing world because some of them are very capable. Uh, in terms of their skills, uh, but their characters are a little questionable or very questionable. Yeah. And so uh, th- there's these are methodologies that you can use in very effective ways to bring attention, to develop relationships. But you could also, you know, with the wrong intentions, you can manipulate, you can, you know, try to... Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with foundations and with charities and stuff, because after being behind the scenes of so much of it, I see a lot of it is just cosmetic um, veneering sort of stuff. And I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of it. So I'm, I'm all for using cause marketing, but just make sure that what you're, you know, what you're the cause that you're behind is, is legit and is useful. And if you find that it's not, then walk away from it, you know, give your time, attention, money, effort, and energy to things that you care about and that matter. Um, And saying all that you can do some really, you can meet some amazing people, I've had so many unbelievable adventures because I simply show up with the attitude of what's in it for them. I don't ask anyone to do anything for me without creating value for them first. And if they're reciprocal and if they're awesome, I'll continue to do stuff with them. And if not, I, I, I walk away. Let's talk about why what's in it for them is the most important question in the world. You know, so you wrote an entire book around this and it's kind of a phrase that a lot of us in the marketing world have heard for a long time. Just explain like what's the background behind it and why is it so important? 
And then get yeah. everyone needs to get your book. What's no, it? thank you. Yeah, and and if you do get the book, the the proceeds of the book actually go to my 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 foundation, which is Genius Recovery. And the goal of Genius Recovery is to change the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment, and find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy and share it with the world. So I have a educational platform that is a passion project. It's important for me. I've been in uh, recovery for over 25 years now, and I, you know, understand the pain and the suffering of uh, compulsive uh, behavior that can destroy your life. And I think we're in the biggest addiction crisis in human history. So what does that have to do with what's in it for them? Well, uh, addiction is a connection disorder. It's a, it's a lack of, you know, hormones, dopamine and serotonin. It's uh, trauma based. It's, it's a solution to pain. And so why what's in it for them is an important question is if you think about your own life, most of the time you're thinking about yourself and anything that you're thinking about with other people, you often think about how it relates to them. So there are people that are narcissists, there are people that are sociopaths, there are people that are psychopaths that are missing uh, the ability to have empathy. So my book is really, I don't know if I can reach those people. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe some of the narcissists that have some level of awareness. Uh, but this book is written for givers, uh, and it's in, in the people that will not like it or will not resonate with it. I think they're takers because I don't know how anyone could possibly uh, utilize this methodology and not develop deeper friendships and deeper relationships with others, uh, but more so with himself. So the sneaky thing is I don't really say it. I'll say it here. Um, one of the one of the agendas that I have with the book is to help people uh, first, I sell people what they want and do my best to try to give them what they need. What they want is how do you meet everybody? How do you develop better relationships? How do you find love relationships? We even have a chapter in there on how to use marketing to find true love. And it really is an effective uh, method if if someone is single or if you're in a relationship you want and you want to deepen the relationship. So it's not well, just- Well, I'm, 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 I'm an example of that. I mean, I use a lot of marketing in finding love. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're 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 a perfect uh, case study and a in a in a perfect example of, of that. And it's you know, uh, and and I don't say that flippantly. I mean, you can use words to, uh, you know, create desire that that evoke desire that already exists. You can use words to end a relationship. You can empower people. You can. Uh, make people incredibly fearful and suicidal. You know, it's mm-hmm. there, there's all kinds of ways that we can yield the the power of of, of influence. So part of the book, uh, and I say this in the very beginning, uh, what's in it for them would not exist if it wasn't for How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a great book by Dale Carnegie, written yeah. you know, about a hundred years ago, and I love that book, and it was extremely valuable. And when I thought about what's in it for them, I thought, you know. Well, winning friends and influencing people is one thing, but winning the right friends and influencing the right people. So the reason it's important is it is a way to filter who you're aligned with and who you're not. I mean, I'm not suggesting you go out and just give to every person out there because there are 
there are some people that, you know, Zig Ziglar has that great line, which is you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. And unfortunately, that's not always true because you can work your ass off being very helpful and very generous to people that not only will not appreciate it, some of them will take advantage of you and will abuse you and will make your life miserable. And, you know, that saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, most people can relate to that where you've yeah. went, you know, you spent your time, your attention, your money, your effort, your energy, you were really caring and compassionate and generous. And then someone took advantage of you or they cheated you or they lied to you or, you know, some some person, metaphorically speaking, you invite them into your into your house because they're they need help. They're homeless, whatever. And they steal from you or they hurt you. Uh, you know, you go into a love relationship and you're, you know, you're, you're a good person, you're caring, and then you get betrayed, you get taken advantage of. Uh, and, and you often think like, you know, why is it worth it? Why, you know, why should we be helpful? Why should we, we be caring and courteous? And so part of it is I don't want people to get jaded when they get taken advantage of and, and because it's hard not to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, and, and I say that with the standpoint that you have to really be aware of if you're being an asshole or not. I mean, you you can be a, a really shitty person or doing shitty things and expect people to just treat you well when you're not even aware of that, how you're presenting yourself, how you are occurring to other people. So all of this, all the things I'm saying come with the caveat that, you know, you, you have to be showing up, not thinking uh, that you're doing things well, but you're, it's actually showing up in your actions. You know, the, I think Stephen Covey, and I, I write about this sort of mindset in the book. Uh, I think he, I'm not sure who's the actual original source of this, because many people have said it, uh, but it's like people judge themselves on their uh, intentions and they judge others on their actions. So, you know, you, you, you can, even people that are con artists and are murderers and have done awful things tend to have a rationalization as to why they're doing it. Oh, I didn't intend to do that. It doesn't matter if you intended to. If someone, you know, backs up over your foot, it doesn't matter if they did it on purpose or if it was accidental, they still ran over your foot. So the the action uh, of how you go into it. So I say all of these things that we're talking about today, which if you're operating with not only, you know, good intentions but your actions follow that, uh, you're going to get taken advantage of by being a giver. However, karmically speaking, I I believe, and, and when I say I believe, it's obviously worked that way in my own life, because for all of the things that have been unfortunate events, I can point to so many wonderful humans, so many genuine relationships, lives change, great things that have come out of operating with the what's in it for them, you know, mindset and, and doing my best to, to live that out in my life, uh, that, you know, being a giver is what I believe karmically the best way to live a life where you actually think, okay, what's in it for them? What What is it that they want? And how do I focus on their pain and, and, and removing their pain? How do I focus on their opportunities and helping them with their opportunities? How do I be a real friend, not a deal friend. 
you know, when someone approaches me like, hey, we can make a lot of money together and I don't even have any rapport with them and I don't even know what it is they're selling. You know, if I was desperate and, and all I cared about was, you know, I got to make some money that might get my attention. But when people try to enter into a relationship with me purely based on, you know, a financial reward, that's at this stage, that's that, that's usually a, a red flag that, you know, pay attention to where there's or it's a yellow flag. And, and, and one thing, you know, it's. I ignored a lot of the yellow flags in my life. And I got that term from my buddy, Patrick Gentempo, um, where- who, who did one of the best uh, 10 minute talks I've ever seen at a genius mastermind a couple of years ago. He, he was really fantastic. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, his, one of his books is published by Hay House, which is the publisher of my book is your, your, your stand is your brand. Your brand uh, is your stand, yeah. <laughs> so- um, yeah, so it's it's the yellow flags. And so a lot of times we often ignore, uh, and this is one thing that givers do, is they just believe in the goodness of people. If you're a good person, you're oftentimes, you may have blinders on and find it hard to believe when people act with poor integrity or no integrity or are willing to do, you know, not only cruel, shitty, mean things, but outright evil things. And we're living in a world right now where young people do not have, in many cases, what I consider uh, oftentimes role models that are very well known from celebrity to CEOs to, uh, you know, corporations. To, to I mean, there are, there are so many people that are selling their souls for profit in the world right now. And I'm not a person that poo-poos money. I actually, all money earned ethically is a byproduct of value creation, as my friend Dan Sullivan says. And so I'm I'm a big believer in go and make money, you know, create value, develop good relationships, make people happy, do not leave scorched earth. And a lot of young people are witnessing a lot of, you know, so much propaganda, you know, since the pandemic started. Uh, leaders that are not only unethical, but they're massively incompetent and they're, they're, they're lying through their teeth. And you're seeing, you know, companies, I'm making all of the sins that at Toastmasters, if you say, oh, and ah, they would scold you for and do check marks is because I'm really thinking through to what degree do I want to go off on, on certain tangents. I am uh, disappointed in the level of fear porn and propaganda that is being shoved out at the world right now, which is why I think the what's in it for them attitude is in, in, in methodology is so valuable for people to protect themselves from all these narcissistic, you know, sociopaths that are in, unfortunately in many leadership positions right now. And the world needs caring, compassionate givers that are not exploitive and I also want people to be protected from these vampires so that they can not become jaded and still be a, you know, wake up every day and say, you know what, I'm going to take care of my family. I'm going to take care of my clients. I'm going to do the best job I can. And I also want to put up, you know, boundaries to a, a lot of these takers, because when the world is in a really dark, depressed place, people get desperate and people oftentimes, um, can be very, you know, can hurt others. And we've seen a lot of that happening. And I, uh, I really, you know, I, I really want the, the givers of the world to be as best boundaried as they can so that they spend their time, attention, money, effort, and energy on people that really appreciate them 
and really respect them, you know, not, not just for money. I mean, oftentimes people want me just to, you know, teach them strategies on how to make a lot of money and how to meet all these people, because that's how they're going to get their opportunities. And certainly you can do that. But I, you know, there's nothing feels better than sitting around with someone that, you know, has your back and you have theirs. And there's a sense of just ease that, that comes with that. I think this is a great place to talk about what you um, describe in the book as the virtuous cycle of connecting. And a couple of notes, I either copied this down from you or, or made the notes, um, you know, my version of it is it's that when you have a virtuous cycle of connecting, you're shifting the focus off of you. You're figuring out what other people's need. You're helping reduce people's suffering. You're increasing your value and you reduce your suffering. How did you come up with this? And, and what's a great example of this that someone could use in their life right now, uh, especially because the world is hurting so much right now? Well, uh, I mean, I guess the way that I can explain it is let's, uh, I spent about half my time focused on areas in the realm of, of addiction recovery. And so, which is very difficult work. Uh, and if I had a dollar for every person that tried to say, hey, I have the solution for addiction, or you can take this supplement, or you can go to this seminar, you can go to this therapist, you can go to this group. It's it's not, it, it's more complex than that. And I believe addiction is a response to trauma. So one of the first uh, chapters of my book is, is about pain. It's being a pain detective. And so what the way that I look at, at people is, if you are disconnected, with yourself, it's going to be really hard to connect with other people. And one of the very best ways to deepen connection to yourself is to be of service to other people, is to really care about helping them, but not just saying the words helping them, but really sometimes you can just be a companion. If, uh, have you ever had the, uh, have you ever sat with someone that was dying, Craig, in your life? Have you had anyone close to you that was? Yeah, dying? yeah, I have. You know, and, and oftentimes, you know, you would, if you really love and care about them and you're close to them, you would do, I mean, it just really hurts to see someone hurting in physical or mental mm -hmm. anguish. And, 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 and oftentimes you cannot do anything about it except sit with them and be a companion. So everything from, you know, solving someone's problem to sitting with someone that's in deep physical pain. So the first the first thing is, is, is be a pain detective. Uh, understand that no matter how, one of the ways that I've built more rapport with people, and, and, and this is sounds weird when people first hear it, is not from what I can bring to the table, but from what I can take off their pain table, how I can help them, uh, you know, and, and sometimes that's telling a really, it, 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 some of these things will sound contradictory. Uh, sometimes one of the best ways to help someone is to just get them into a state of finding some humor in the midst of the deepest anguish. So that's where inappropriate humor or twisted humor often works, but you've got to size up the situation. One thing I share with Bill that ended up in one of his books was most people have gone to church. Most people have drank beer but most people don't drink beer in church. I'm sure some people have drank beer in church, but for the most part, they're, you know, there's situational ethics, which I do not like. Situational behavior, you know, I could say crude jokes to you, but if you introduce me to your, 
you know, grandma, I probably wouldn't say the same jokes to her, you know? And so unless, you know, your grandma was very similar to you, but that would only come after a certain level of rapport building. So part of the rapport building formula, the virtuous thing is first off, get, get to the pain. If you can really help someone with the pain and you can really help, you know, you know do it. Uh, being valuable is not like fine China. You don't run out of it. I mean, you don't have to hold all of the things close to you because you got to get paid for every single thing. So I, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, uh, I just try to be helpful to everyone. Now I'm not, I'm not here to be a doormat though. I mean, there are, I pick up on, you know, any people that I have been valuable and helpful to long-term is for one, I really enjoy helping people. I like being useful and I like people to like me. I mean, there's of course, you know, and that probably comes from, you know, self-esteem and self-worth and wanting validation. I hope people like me. However, you know, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. So, you know, I, I really try to look for what is the pain? What is the angst? How do I find uh, something that I could just be useful for? And I do more of this to people that don't. I'm practicing all the time because people will say, well, how do I you know, how do I practice some of the things that are in what's in it for them? Well, at the end of every chapter, I actually give, you know, things that people could do. But, you know, like a, a server at a restaurant, if you see someone that looks stressed out that is at a restaurant and you say, hey, you know, you're probably working really hard. I really appreciate your help. You know, thank you so much. It takes you like seconds where you can just plant a little bit of appreciation into someone's life and and you just operate that way there's you know there is no reason to be a shitty person except that's being a shitty person is the only way to get done what needs to get done meaning there are people that their entire persona is about intimidation and control and dominating people that's where you have to put on a different hat so if you're getting attacked you know you're not going to stop the attack with compliments you know uh, like our friend tim larkin says you know he 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 you know uh, he, he's written what was what his was last when violence is the answer i just yeah, reread yeah. it yeah yeah so and, and you know tim is a, a black belt and he you know his wife uh you know his wife is the the stronger of the two she's amazing oh she's you a know, total badass she's one yeah, of the top chief. people at las vegas pd yeah Sucked larkin but he says you know violence is never an option unless it's the only option. And so I, you know, always operate from the standpoint is be cool, be nice, be caring, be helpful, unless A, it doesn't work, or B, um, you have to use, use, use a different methodology. And so mm -hmm. when you when you train yourself to be grateful, when you train yourself to be useful, and when I say train, I don't mean like you have to trick yourself. You don't just become happy because you want to be happy. You do things that generate happiness. You don't just have a, a, a physical physique and being in good shape because you want it. You do it by eating a certain way, by taking care of your sleep, by looking at your nervous system, by exerting yourself in lifting weights. And so uh, if, if you want to lift weights, that is. And so my whole thing is, you know, more woo and less ah. What humans want is they want woo, you know, woo, everything that we do. <laughs> Is like, woo, I want, you know, I'm, I want to have sex. Woo, I want to eat food. Woo, I want to look a certain way. I want to buy this car. Woo, woo, I want to make money. I want, you know, I want a New York Times bestseller. You know, whatever, all of this shit that people are doing as humans is they're trying to get more woo uh, and they're hoping, you know, in, in less ah. So if someone's like, 
you know, you can just see the ah, I want to help give them some woo. Now, let me make a distinction, though, because this could totally get taken out of context and it can become an excuse for pursuing all kinds of things that in the moment will give you woo. Like I openly speak about being a drug addict, uh, having sexual addiction, which is an intimacy disorder, workaholism, which, you know, half my clients are workaholics because performance addiction and, you know, having the world edify you, you know, workaholism is the respectable addiction, which is the subtitle of a book on, on workaholism. And, you know, so in the moment, it can give you woo. Snorting a line of cocaine is a huge hit of dopamine. It'll give you woo, but it'll give you a lot of ah, if you partake in that. I mean, eating a, a you know, a whole pizza or eating Oreo cookies or, a you know, uh, a big block of, of fudge in the moment is woo. It tastes good, but the ah of what that's going to do is not worth it. So mm -hmm. I get in the cold plunges almost daily. Uh, whenever I'm in town, there's a place I go to called Optimize. I have a cold plunge in my in my house. Uh, getting ready to have cold plunge and sauna at the Genius Network headquarters. That should be there within two weeks from now. And nice. so we, I've gotten over it at least a hundred people to start doing uh, saunas and cold plunging. And I used to hate the cold. I mean, it freaked me out. And the first time like I ever did a cold plunge, it was like agonizing. But then when I learned how to utilize breathing and, you know, I read the book breath by James Nestor, who's now become a good buddy of mine. And I started really, you know, learning how much you can do with just your breath that I get into cold plunges. Every time I step into a cold plunge, it's like, ah, you know, it's like, I mean, it still freaks you out, but the woo that I get out of it is enormous. So there are, so going and working out, which you've, I mean, how, God, how many hundreds of thousands of people have you helped inspire to get in better physical shape? Well, millions, Joe, literally millions. No, no, but it's how, how many do you think? How many people do you think you've had? Well, uh, well, during COVID, we had one video on YouTube that was watched seven and a half million times. So, you know, I'm not sure if a million people watch it seven and a half times each, but yeah, hundreds of thousands for sure uh, directly. And then all the people that I taught how to become, you know, marketers of fitness then went on and helped millions of people. So, you know, a few. Right, right. And by the way, I say hundreds of thousands because there's one thing to get a bunch of people to read books and watch videos, right. another sure. to actually get them to do it. And I do believe that with everything you, you've certainly have reached and through the people you've taught, millions and millions of people. And, and I'm sure the people that have physically transformed their bodies or at least improved them is in the hundreds. It's of probably 10 percent of the people that have that we've reached in our reach. Yeah. 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 And, and honestly, I mean, who the hell really knows? But the fact is right. you're putting good stuff out there. Mm -hmm. And in the, the thing is, is though, is part of the, the trick is getting people to see the the positive consequences of difficult behavior. So in order to get a lot of woo in your life, you oftentimes have to endure certain ah. But the odds that you want to take away, like I write in the book, you do not want to, there's a line, and I say this a bit out of ignorance, um, because I don't, I don't literally have children, like I, 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 I'm not a father of a child, I raised a baby early on in my life. And I, 
have a lot of uh, kids and I've genius youth and I have genius elders and I've genius network and I've equity in many different companies. And, uh, you know, I, you know, reach a lot of people. Uh, there's this line, which is don't handicap your, your, your children by making their lives too easy. And oftentimes you don't want to take away the gift of somebody's struggle. You don't want to take the gift away of somebody's pain. There is certain pain that is actually got a benefit to it. And pain is a messenger. Pain communicates things. Unnecessary suffering, though, that is, you know, unnecessary pain that serves no purpose is something that I do my best to not have in my own life and not have in other people's lives. But I'm willing to sacrifice uh peace of mind for productivity. I'm willing to suffer to a degree in order to get things done. I honor people that are willing to take stances against, you know, tyranny to stand up for people that no one uh, is standing up for uh, causes and situations and things like that. And so, you know, part of that is an operating system. I mean, I believe life gives to the giver and takes from the taker. I mean, I, I really think that, that, you know, there are people in the world, uh, and, I, and I don't say this like they're, I, I would like to hope that every human um, that ends up becoming polluted wasn't just a rotten human, something happened in their life. So I, I give people a lot of slack, and I've seen people that have done awful, awful shit in their lives, really hurt people that have transformed themselves and have, have, have found grace and have become, you know, angels, you know, like my friend Andre Norman, you know, who I've been funding for going on four years now. We do a lot of stuff, uh, you know. What with, did he uh, do? Well, he spent 14 years in maximum security prison uh, for uh, armed robbery. And then once mm -hmm. he was in prison, two counts of attempted murder. You know, mm -hmm. when I first asked him, you know, what do you, what do you mean attempted murder? I'm like, what, what, what'd you do? He's like, I stabbed the guy 11 times. I'm like, you stabbed the guy 11 times and didn't kill him. He's like, well, I was good at stabbing, not at killing. I'm like, okay. And he spent two years in solitary confinement while he was in prison. He's a big black guy. And uh, you can look him up, AndreNorman.com. They're getting ready to release a movie on him. He wrote a book called Ambassador of Hope, but he became the number three gang leader in prison. He was a, he was a hardcore dude. I mean, he beat the shit out of people. What and was the switch? He was in solitary confinement for two years. He was, it had gotten so bleak and so desperate. And so, I mean, you know, he, he, he was just in a place where he either was going to go crazy and lose his mind or he was going to find it. So he had a spiritual awakening. I mean, mm. you know, uh, I never tried to define what that's like for someone because every, you know, the word God has is a mixed bag. A lot of people were manipulated heavily in their life under the guise of God. I mean, I, I was raised Catholic. My mother died when I was uh, four years old. Um, she was a former nun. She left the convent because she had gotten ill. And I had, you know, I had a lot of awful stuff happen to me in, 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 under, under the manipulation of people using God as a weapon. You know, I was raped and molested as a kid. I was paid money not to say anything. I mean, that's what led to me being a drug addict and having issues with sexuality and things like that, you know, sex addiction and stuff, which again, I'm happy to answer any questions anyone has on any of that stuff. I mean, there's a difference between secrecy and privacy. So, I mean, I'll always share stuff, but to go back to Andre, uh, he he came up with this goal that he wanted to learn how to read. He wanted to learn how to write. He wanted to go to Harvard. And so when he got out, he, he ended up, he went to Harvard, became part of a social justice program. And now 
He's one of the highest rated speakers at YPO. He runs a prison in North Carolina. Um, you know, I interviewed him and Stedman Graham, you know, Oprah's partner mm -hmm. uh, during the pandemic. There's a great interview of us on YouTube. There's quite a few interviews with me and Andre on, on YouTube. And, you know, right now we're working on getting genius recovery uh, content and our genius network content on 650,000 prison tablets to actually, uh, you know, to, to, share useful, valuable things to people that are incarcerated because, you know, 25% of the world's prisoners uh, are uh, that are incarcerated are in the United States. We're the highest incarcerating country in the world. And a lot of these people are, are addicts. And I always say you can't punish pain out of people, you know, and you need to have a more compassionate industry, something other than the criminal justice system treating addicts. And people, you're not going to punish the pain out of yourself. And a lot of people beat themselves up uh, and they 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 treat a lot of the things where they're making mistakes or they've screwed up as you're a, you're a horrible person. And there's a difference between a quote unquote horrible person and doing bad things. You know, every single person has done something that they regret, something that they wish they didn't do. Well, there are times where we're, you know, selfish and greedy and self-centered and desperate. And other times where we're caring and we're compassionate, we're you know, awesome and loving and things. And so the question is, what, what is happening in your life or has happened in your life that causes you to be really cool and be really awesome and be really caring? And what are the things that cause you to take advantage or to, you know, so that's why you have to look at who are the relationships that you keep around you? What are the things, you know, because if you live a, you take an entrepreneur who's constantly every day wakes up into a half business, hard, annoying, lame and frustrating, do you expect someone to be in a cheery, wonderful mood all the time? Hell no. You know, when we start losing our, you know, patience and we when we start getting really pissy, there's something usually either externally or internally going on. And so my whole thing is, what is the message that life is trying to give me when I am in a, in a state of frustration, you know, because what is frustration, you know, it's fear and anger combined. And so when you're in a state of, of, of frustration, as an example, or, or anger or sadness, you know, what can you sit with it and try to identify what is life trying to tell me right now? Because if you pay attention to it, and you can step into the awareness of it, it's giving you a doorway out or a doorway through. And when I, I had a friend that I helped with recovery that painted something for me that I actually have on the wall at my office that says recovery didn't open up the gates of heaven to let me in, but it opened up the gates of hell to let me out. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I, uh, I I think just we all day long, we can open up uh, and, and this is metaphorically speaking, I don't care if someone's an atheist, you know, what I care about is if someone is connected and if they're, you know, if, if they're, if they're operating in the world and they're not, you know, abusing other people and they're, you know, and they're, and they're producing more than they consume, which is a, a Kinkich Credo quote. You know, I, I try to produce more than I consume. I think that is the, you know, way to live. And that is what's in it for them. You know, what's in it for them is you focus on what's in it for them. Always lead with, uh, with a give, uh, if you can. Uh, before don't expect that the world owes you anything and operate with, you know, putting forth good work ethic, uh, integrity, uh, understanding that, you know, it's not what you think is best for someone. It's what 
you know, is really, they feel is best for them. You know, you may have a child that wants nothing but unhealthy food all day long. And you can think like, well, what's in it for them? Let me just give them popsicles and candy all day long. But you're going to be abusing your child if you do that. So, you know, there's a line uh, with with how you need to approach all of this. But part of it is the the more, you know, if you if you look at the people that long term were really admired from spiritual leaders to people that were, you know, just the, the greatest admired encouragers of the world, almost all of them uh, operated with what's in it for them. I mean, they really put other people in their communities and in, 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 in situations in, in front of them. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question, but those, that was my rambling about it. <laughs> Man, this, uh, first of all, it's it's a wonderful book. What's in it? For them, um, the stories in here that you have about exceptional people like Bill Phillips and, you know, the the exercises, like you said, I mean, it's it's not like, oh, you're going to read this book in 60 minutes. You, you're going to read it. You're going to have a huge insight. You're going to go and do some of the exercises. And it's going to take you a while to get through it, but it's life changing. And it really is a great combination of um you know, Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and and some of Farazi's stuff where he's it's never alone. And it's just so practical for this day and age. And, you know, I'm an, I've used a lot of the stuff in there, Joe, and I'm an introvert by nature. I don't love it. It's very difficult for me. Um, it takes, there's a lot of inertia. I'll put it that way. I just want to phrase it uh, properly from my mind. There's a lot of inertia for me to go to, uh, you know, events with a lot of people. Um, but the, the stuff that you teach, um, you know, some of the influence that you've had over me has helped me do that. And it's, you know, it goes back to the thing I said at the start, everything in life is easier with the more good people that, you know, and well, can, uh, can no, I, can I speak to that real quick? Sure, no, no, absolutely. You're right. It is, it is a lot easier with more, with different people that, you know, and, and this is not about going out and having to have a million relationships. I mean, some people are better served, I think you're better off having like just a handful of key uh, deep relationships than just having a, a shit ton of acquaintances because you have to manage all those relationships. Mm -hmm. One of the down downsides of being me is that there's constantly, you know, a, a lot of relationships to navigate. And if, you know, and we tried to work on that for so long. And I was like, I was going to ask you off camera here, like, did, did we ever figure out a system for managing the, I mean, you you know, 15 years ago, when I met you, you knew a lot of people. I mean, I can only imagine what it's like today. Yeah, it's it's a lot. You know, it's I don't know. You know, JP Sears. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So JP sends me a text audio yesterday say, dude, you know, do you have a system for how you manage all of the people? Because he goes, I, you know, I get a lot of contacts, but I'm getting contacts from, you know, people that have my cell phone or people that I'd like to hear from. But I'm at a yeah. point where sometimes I can't even get back to them for days, you know, depending on his touring schedule and stuff yeah. like that. And, you know, I said, you know, look, I don't have any perfect formula. What what I will say is if you if it does get to the point where you're super overwhelmed, put put literally put an autoresponder on your phone, even if you have an iPhone and have to use the do not disturb uh, function where, you know, you're driving and it sends back an auto reply, record a video saying, hey, here's my rules of engagement, not to blow people off, not to posture and position yourself that they have your cell phone on some level, you either have a relationship with them, or you maybe just gave your cell phone to too many people. And at that point, maybe the solution is you need to, you know, get a new phone, right? Or a new phone number uh, for people to text you. So there's the people that you're reaching out in the world. If you're one of those influencers, 
producers that have millions of followers or whatever, that's different than the key, you know, uh, deep relationships in your own life. Because at the end of the day, if you're sucked into social, you know, influencers, as an example, I, I think the whole term is like funny, because I have a lot of people that have millions of followers online that don't even make a fraction of the type of revenue that I can do with not even doing social media. I mean, when I was on my one year sabbatical in 2021, I did zero social media. I had nothing on my phone. I didn't even look at it. And what I found is that I, you know, I feel more inspired by not looking at social media than reading inspirational quotes on social media. Sure. So, so the distinction here, and, and, and this is just me. I mean, you, I treat everything I'm saying like a 12 step group. It's like, take what you like and leave the rest. I mean, you don't have to agree and use all, you know, I'm not the end all be all expert on everything. I mean, I wrote this book in a lot of ways to just figure out what the hell have I done that works for me and how, how could I share it with other people in a way that they could use it. And as you know, a lot of the book is a cautionary tale. It's all of the mistakes that I made, where I've gotten myself in trouble, what not to yeah. do. You know, that's I was I was surprised how many you know stories like I like I got burned by this, and it's like oh, that's that you know, it's often those are the best lessons. You know, that's what people are telling me about. They're like, man, I'm glad you shared some of that stuff because I thought, you know, I was the only one that, that I go, you know, went out of my way to do something. And I it's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I'm writing this book for givers. There's a specific audience uh, th that I wrote it for, but, but to deal, you know, to, to answer the question, like, you know, the, the introvert thing, I am an introvert. I do not feel comfortable going to cocktail parties. When I go around people and I have to mingle at like events and people that I don't know, it's oftentimes really uncomfortable. And what I learned is that almost everybody is scared. Almost everybody's scared. And self-esteem is uh, basically domain dependent. When I used to sell gym memberships uh, at this health club, when I, when I was a, a, a drug addict, it was, my worst time of being a drug addict was when I was 18 years old. I was, I was young and I was out of high school and I spent about three and a half months straight where every single day I was freebasing cocaine. And, and I got one of my worst states was one week where I was not eating hardly anything and my weight uh, got down to 105 pounds. And when you're 18 years old, male, and you weigh 105 pounds, you're that's skinny as a rail. And mm -hmm. my average weight around that time was about 120 pounds. I was extremely malnourished. I was, uh, you know, I was nearly dead. I mean, I was blowing my nose and blood would come out and pieces of flesh from all the cocaine that I was snorting. And it was just horrible. And the amount of abuse that I put my body through uh, was insane. You know, I mean, the human body in if you don't completely destroy it believe it or not in the human spirit can be quite resilient so i've put myself through hell and i've seen other people go through hell and and fortunately you know if you can get into the you know to to to, to the right model and behaviors and treatment and different things uh you know you can turn your whole life around. I mean, I would, I mean, I'm now grateful for all that crazy shit that happened to me because I wouldn't be able to do what I do today had I not been able to take lessons from it. But yeah. I, I ended up moving away, living in a trailer for two years with my, my father. I ended up getting a, a job at a, 
delivering newspapers, an adult newspaper route with was the first thing. And I did that for about, you know, I don't know, six months or so. And I didn't have any money to go to treatment. So I was taking aspirin and Tylenol every day and just dealing with massive withdrawal symptoms for weeks on end. And finally, you know, I didn't have any drugs in my system. And I started, you know, freaking eating well. And, and I, you know, I, I, I got a job selling gym memberships at a health club, even though I didn't look like I worked out at all. And it's so funny, the, the gal that hired me, I, you know, many years ago, I, she's still a friend of mine, her name's Artie. And I was just talking with her three days ago, she finished reading my book. And she's like, I love your book. It was so, it was so, so funny. I, I think about all these relationships, you know, even when you were, you, you said Ted Nicholas and Yannick that I, I still yeah. have over all these years. And so I would go install gym memberships. And I was also going to New Mexico State University. Um, and I never got a degree in anything, by the way. So it was really just to get sober from being a drug addict. And I would see these people in the gym that would work out. And they were the king of the gym. These big meatheads, they're strong. But you then see those same people in the nightclub all dressed up and buttoned up. They seem so awkward. They're against, you know, they just felt like they didn't fit in. And then I'd see these partiers that are at nightclubs every night and they're drinking and everything. And they kind of were the kings of the, you know, the domain of the of the nightclub. But you put them in a gym and they didn't know what they felt so out of place. And it made me realize, like, wow, someone could feel really confident in this environment but you put them over there and they feel so awkward. So I just want to let people to know that, look, man, you don't always have to, like feelings are not facts. Even though you feel nervous, even though you feel awkward, you can choose to hate it or you can say, hey, what's in it for them, which gets the focus off of you in your own fears, your own insecurities. And you can be like, you know, what is this person interested in? What gives them woo? What gives them ah? You know, how do I bond with them? And a lot of times you don't even need to say anything. If you're just thinking that, people pick up on the frequency. And I really realized that you can feel comfortable in a particular environment, which you, which oftentimes make you feel uncomfortable if you just start practicing what's in it for them as a thought process and conversing that way. And then you'll, the, the anxiety, because you're, you know, here's the three things. And I talk about this in the book. I describe this in the book. The, the three experiences that I believe we have, we're either communicating with someone where you're just talking to each other, you know, just talking. You're connecting where you're on the same page. You actually feel a, a bit of rapport and trust and commonality where you're, you're, you're connecting or you're trying to escape. Those are the experiences. And everyone's been in a, in a situation where like, I got to get the hell out of here. Or this person's a space invader. They're talking to me and I, I just don't feel comfortable here. So look at how to communicate, how to deeper connect, and then where are you trying to escape? And when you're feeling like you're trying to escape, is that coming from them or is it coming from you? You know, I, you know, one of the things I recommend to people is be the type of person you always want to answer the phone for. Like test this over the next 10 messages that people send you. I don't care if it comes through Instagram on social media or someone texts you or someone physically calls you on the phone, whatever communication mechanism there is. 
Look at it and think of the energy. Wow, some people you're so excited to hear from them because they represent some type of behavior or opportunity or something, fun, joy, challenge, whatever that they bring to your life. Other people, you get a message from them, you're like, ah, shit. You immediately got a sense of dread. And what I always caution people, though, is if you owe somebody money and they're following up with you, it doesn't mean they're the asshole. It means you're the asshole. So you have to take this in the right context. But like gauge who makes me happy, who makes me excited, what gives me woo, what is it about that person, what are the qualities and characteristics that I like and admire about this engagement, and then be more of that. And that's how you become more attractive. That's how you feel less angst and less stuff. And if you truly hate being in certain environments, then minimize or eliminate entirely going to them. So I'm not suggesting people have to all day long, you know, challenge themselves with shit that they don't like. It's just what what I do know, though, is that fear and not knowing what to do and apprehension keep people from oftentimes the love of their life, uh, reaching some of the greatest opportunities that they can. So, you know, do ever do something every day that scares you, which is different than running in front of traffic. That would just be stupid. Like do, do, do something every day that challenges you to get out of your comfort zone in a way that's going to make you better or help someone else. And if you think your life sucks or you think it's difficult, volunteer at a children's hospital, a homeless clinic, a recovery clinic, an animal shelter, go be of service. Like the way to, if you're depressed, if you're lonely, if you're sad, there are probably, a, if you're watching this on video, on YouTube, or wherever the hell this is going to be, or you're listening to, you know, Craig's podcast, there's probably a billion, two billion people on the planet whose dreams would come true if they could change places with you for just a day. There's so much human suffering in the world. And when people feel like, oh, man, you know, I'm not capable. I don't, I mean, that 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 really is just not accurate at most of the time. I mean, look, I know some people are dying of cancer. I know some, some people have struggles in financial situations that are just so daunting. Uh, however, like people can resource themselves by, you know, hope heals. And if you mm -hmm. feel hopeless, if you can take whatever you got and give someone else hope, you know, false hope is damaging. Genuine, real, true inspiration and substance and caring is sustainable and, and it's really great. And, uh, it will it will it will pay you dividends. The, the, the weird thing about everything that I did my best to convey in the book is that all of these things that sound like you have to give to yourself are actually investments. They're not cost. You know, you, you can spend time, attention, money, effort and energy or you can invest time, attention, money, effort and energy. And if you're spending it where you're not getting anything back from the people of no appreciation, no reward just quit giving your Tammy to the cost, give it to the investments. And then that's how to uh, transform your life. Time. What was it? Time and time, attention, attention. money, effort, and energy. Think of it as the word that's tame, tame with two E's. So it's a yeah. weird way of spelling Tammy. So it could be tame E, but it's like, uh, yeah, time, attention, money, effort, and energy. I don't even say that acronym in the book. I just, I, I say time, attention, money, effort, and energy, but I don't think I tell people to call it Tammy. That's just the the shorthand that I, that I use when I'm talking about it. Yeah. Love it, man. 
Joe, you've lived an amazing life. You know, you've gone from struggling and having nothing to building a successful business and building this huge empire of great people and the genius network. And, you know, now helping people with the addiction and and writing this book that everyone should get what's in it for them uh, available everywhere. Um, and, and then last year you took a year off uh, a sabbatical, which I'm sure we'll hear about soon. And you've done some podcasts on it, but what the heck is next for Joe? Well, you know, a lot of cool things. Like, I, I believe everything is expression. I mean, this is going to sound weird, but um, everything we're doing is expression. You know, recording a podcast is an expression. Dancing, working out, exercise, cold plunging, doing drugs, having sex. You know, all of the things that humans do is a bit of art. And you can wake up every day and write a love story, a comedy, a tragedy, a horror show, a drama. You know, I want to wake up and write is, you know, many different awesome things that I think are important. And I want to minimize uh, dealing with, uh, you know, asshole people. Uh, however, I take on a lot of difficult stuff. And so, again, back to my goal of, uh, you know, I want to help change the, the global conversation about how people view and treat addicts with compassion instead of judgment and find the best forms of treatment that have efficacy. Well, that requires uh, a lot of work and uh, and a lot of money and a lot of effort. And I'm and I'm happy to put that into it. It's not easy work. It's it's not fun work. It seems counter to what it is I'm talking about. But what it does for me in terms of my fulfillment in my own recovery, and it's not because I'm some philanthropic angel or anything like that. I mean, doing this actually helps me quite a bit in my own life. And so um, what's next is I, I own a ghost town called Cleeter, Arizona. So I own a 40 acre ghost town. That sounds crazy. We're doing our first uh, art show at Cleeter in uh, about a month from now. And I got a whole group of a uh, couple hundred artists. We're going to do our first one as a private uh, thing. It's like a lot of people that go to Burning Man and do all kinds of crazy art. So I'm using this town, Cleeter. If anyone's interested, they can go to What's Your Cleeter dot com c l e a t o r and we're not selling anything there it's literally just the site and one of the uh one day maybe we'll sell something right now we're just putting a lot of money into building the <laughs> building the infrastructure of 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 really um restoring a ghost town people live there we're taking care of a lot of the residents some of the residents that live there pay us nothing but they've lived there for so long and they're they're older people and you know we we're, we're, we're making sure that we can you know, help them as best we can. And uh, I have a VR company, which is called Genius X. And so we're doing, uh, we're the we're the only currently right now at the time we're doing this interview, I'm sure there's going to be more because a lot of great companies doing cool stuff on VR, but we're doing the complete opposite of how a lot of people use tech, which is to get people addicted to more tech. We're the only uh, educational app on the Oculus store. So we have meditation and we have yoga and we have addiction recovery uh, programming and finance and public speaking. Uh, and I have Genius Network. You know, Genius Network is where I spend my time with industry transformers. And the focus of that is health, wealth, and elf. So what's next is I've, you know, I'm an awesome partner. Um, I do a lot of fun stuff and I like being a goofball. So I like doing skunk work projects and I don't need to work at this point for money, um, uh, only if I put that money into things like recovery. So most of the stuff that I do, I hope when I die, I can leave. Um, not I hope, I will. I mean, we're already in the process of doing it. It's just setting it up right. You know, Benjamin Franklin left a few uh, million dollars for the city, uh, a few thousand dollars for the city of Boston 
uh, which is now worth millions because of compound interest. I want to leave a few million for uh, addiction recovery. So generations, when I'm long gone, we have set up something through genius recovery that really helps people because that is the biggest problem. So in a lot of ways, you know, if people do get the book, they'll hear a little bit of my addiction recovery story. But I will say if anyone is struggling or suffering from addiction or a family member, geniusrecovery.org, nothing is sold there. Uh, it literally is just an educational platform to find meanings and, and, and resources, uh, you know, on, on what to do if you have addiction. I have an open letter that describes my views on it. And so what's next is hopefully getting as many givers of the world to, you know, feel good about themselves, boundary themselves and um, and, and do that. So I, I hope uh, and, and I re- I've written five books, but Craig, I've never put more work into a single piece of knowledge than I've been through every single line of this damn book uh, six times. Uh, I recorded it on audio myself. So people, if they don't like reading, they can listen to the audio. And we've gotten amazing feedback from it. And it's, you know, and, and I've not I've not put a ton of marketing behind it. I want I want the book to actually not be bought. I want people to read it and I want people to utilize it. Uh, it's not just, you know, I didn't try to hit the list. I know how to do all that shit. I mean, we hit number four on uh, Wall Street Journal, but I, you know, I, I even if this book uh, was chosen for New York Times, I don't think I'd put it on the cover because the New York Times uh, is unfortunately um, kind of a racket. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't care about that. I care about people just, you know, utilizing it and making their lives better and and having more, more woo and less awe and, uh, being more awesome giver. You know, I think the world really needs uh, givers and the the givers that have good, good ethics, good boundaries, care about people, that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah. And I I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all the years that we've known each other. And uh, you know, I've always seen you as uh, as quite a giver and just a a really courteous guy. Even, even when I first met you, when you you were just like introverted, weird, didn't really talk, you know, when you used to have a Blackberry and you used to just sit there and take notes on your Blackberry, you were so damn, you were so proficient with it. I've never seen thumbs move so damn. (laughs) And uh, you know, but it's like, yeah, but you've always been very helpful and you've been very gracious. And I know you've done a lot of that when it's been very hard for you. So I actually, I was really shy an introverted growing up i know the pain of being able to even talk to people so i mean if there's anything that i've been able to share it's because of the shit that i had to go through to kind of overcome my own fears and, and issues with it and so i, I just want to help people that if i look at a younger version of myself like what would i have wished i would have read or would have known so i would have saved myself you know years of misery that's what i've tried to convey yeah, and it's, and it's powerful. So, I mean, I love that woo, uh, more woo, less awe. I'm going to keep that one in my mind in that, uh, re- you know, recovery line that's, that you have painted in your home or or wherever it is that, you know, the, the the gates of hell open to let me out because of recovery. That's that's a good one. I mean, that's a good one for all the, all physical discomforts and even the introvert discomfort. It's like you got, you know, the gates of hell are being open to let you out when you go through that uncomfortableness because, and you, but you build skills and, and then you're no longer stuck in that little introverted prison that you might have. So man, so much knowledge and so much wisdom, um, dude, I love you. I love you like a brother and uh, really, really grateful for you and can't wait to see you again. So Joe Polish, thank you very much. Everyone go and get what's in it for them. If you are an entrepreneur with a serious business, check out Genius Network, get to his annual event. Do you know when your next uh, annual event is, Joe? Yeah, it's December 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in um, in in 
Scottsdale, Arizona. Yep. I have so far James Nestor is going to come speak. I have Mary Morrissey. I've got uh, Martha McSally, the first uh, you know female combat fighter pilot in the world. Uh, I've got some amazing people that are g- going to come speak. Maybe Mike Rowe from Dirty Jobs. I mean, I've got some cool, cool stuff that's that's going on. So we're planning all that out right now. But yeah, thank you. Love you too. And the, the the you know you said something about the introverted thing. There's that Joseph Campbell line: "The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure that you seek." And yeah. so I've, you know, everyone that's listening to this, there is some cave that is fearful for you to enter some conversation to have something that you could say, but I'll tell you, man, when you, when you go and do it, when you face those fears, when you, you, you take that step, when you just acknowledge the person, you have no idea the power of words, the power of caring, the power of putting your heart uh, into the right people. And, you know, it's in, in aligning yourself with people that are aligned with you, uh, you will feel more connected. And so, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. So yeah, geniusnetwork.com is where Genius Network is. And the website for what's in it for them is the name, what's in it for them.com. You can get it. There. So, so people are watching on YouTube. Do they just hold their phone up to the QR code? Yeah. Yeah. On the, on the YouTube version of this, I have this fancy screen that has, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're not able to see it, but if you're watching it as my book, which is what's in it for them, it has a website and then it has a QR code and you just yeah. point your phone at that. That'll take you directly to what's in it for them. And when someone buys the book, there's all these interviews that I have, like I even have an, you know, like what one of the funny ones is with my buddy Neil Strauss, uh, you know, where we we do an interview because I helped him with, uh, you know, his book The Truth, uh, which was after he wrote, you know, ten years after he wrote the game when he went through all kinds of therapy and different stuff uh, related to addiction recovery, and it's all about connecting because you know what I we talk about r- rapport is trust with comfort. When you have rapport with someone, not only do you trust them but you feel comfortable with them. So I want people to have, you know, trust and comfort with themselves so that they can have trust and comfort with other people. But there's all kinds of interviews, Annie Lala on how to use love relationships, Amy Chan, the, you know, who wrote the, the breakup boot camp. Uh, so I have interviews with Chris Voss, the former, you know, mm-hmm. top international FBI hostage negotiator. So when someone buys the book, they're not just getting a book, they're getting access to uh, videos and other things too. And there's no cost for that. That all comes with, uh, with part of the book. Absolutely amazing. All right. Thank you, Joe. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Everybody get the book and we'll see everybody on the next episode of early rise radio. Awesome. Thank you, brother.